Welcome to this Columbia University Comunitas Public Management podcast. Today we'll be featuring a master class by Columbia University professor Zachary Metz on negotiations and conflict resolution. Professor Metz is a partner at Consensus, a consulting firm specializing in peace building. Professor Metz has more than 15 years experience working on issues such as large group facilitation, conflict sensitive development, and restorative justice. Professor Metz has worked with the UN Development Program, Search for Common Ground, and a wide variety of international and civil society organizations. In terms of consulting, we can come in and give strategies, give advice, give training to help when things get challenging and difficult. So that's what we call consulting. Often this is in government, it can be uh, in the private sector often, it could be in nonprofits, but it's about the organizations. We also work at the other end of the sort of scale spectrum in, as I mentioned, war zones primarily, conflict affected societies, and that's this work that we call peace building. Um, I direct this area. I do a lot of work in the private and the public sector, but I also direct our work in peace building. And essentially what we do, what I do, is work directly with UN agencies. I see a UN agency represented here. Uh, I can't tell which one it is, but it definitely looks like a UN agency. What is it? It's just a church from, uh, from Geneva. UN, yeah, UN headquarters. There you go. Good. Uh, good friend, good colleagues there. So UN agencies. Uh, non-governmental non organizations or civil society, political leaders, social leaders, U.S. government, um, all kinds of different partners that we work with in the field to support different kinds of peace building initiatives. Um, to give you a sense of where I've worked in, in peace building, uh, just to kind of give you an overview of that, I've done a lot of work in Iraq, um, particularly in 2003 and up till about 2007, right after the war. Um, I did a fair amount of work there with civil society and political leadership. I've done a lot of work in Lebanon, uh, a lot of work in Colombia, which I, if you're observing is definitely slowly and challenging, but it, it is moving forward. I think everyone would, would agree with that. Not to say that it's not have challenges, but, but, it, but it certainly has been moving forward. Um, I've done a lot of work in, in uh, Northern Ireland, which is sort of the good news story. Northern Ireland is uh, seen by many as a case of a very long violent conflict that has transformed. Not completely gone, but definitely shifted and changed in profound and important ways. Um, I've done a, work, a lot of work in, in Myanmar or Burma, the country of Burma, uh, and also a country called, uh, that you may be familiar with, Timor-Leste or East Timor. People negotiate differently, right? There's not sort of one size fits all. There's not one way that's always effective. That's something important to keep in mind because you, will be you are negotiating with all kinds of different styles and approaches, and you need to have the ability to understand um, a counterpart's approach and work with it, not against it, right? So you need to be able to understand it and respond to it effectively. The most important starting place for improving our ability to negotiate or resolve conflict is right here, this, the individual. In other words, self-awareness. Awareness of your own style, your own approach, your own assumptions, how you are reacting. You know, you said emotional. How is emotion helping you in a negotiation? How might it be making it more challenging? Uh, by the way, I'm, I, I think emotion is very, very important. And um, I think that without emotion, 
we have huge problems navigating the world. So it's not a bad thing. That, but, but really beginning with self-awareness is key to, I think, becoming a better negotiator, to becoming a good mediator, even a good leader in, in, your, in your various, you know, whether you're a journalist or a, or, or a diplomat or a politician or, you know, in private sector. Self-awareness. You guys know what I mean by self-awareness? Not really. Does anyone want to describe what they think that means for them? And then I can say a bit. Knowing yourself. Knowing yourself. Yeah, it's two things. I think it's at least two things. In general, knowing yourself. Knowing how you react to challenges or opportunities. Knowing if you, I'll give you an example. I work with a colleague, another partner at Consensus. When we have conflict, when we have difference, I want to talk more. I want to get in there and here's what I think and what do you think and let's talk about this and so I'm very intense. He's the opposite. He's, he wants to sit with it. He wants to be quiet. He wants to think. He wants to go inside. So you can imagine the two of us together, I'm coming at him and he's going like this and I'm coming at him and that makes it worse. So he's, and then of course, now we go into conflict, it gets worse and worse and worse. And sometimes, let's say we're on the phone, blah, 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 silence. And I'll say, are you still there? <laughs> he says, yes, I'm just thinking. And that's what I mean about self-awareness is being aware of your own uh, responses and your own preferences and knowing that other people may have different responses and different preferences. It's not good or bad. Awareness, though, is critical because once you are aware, you can make decisions. I want to change this. For example, I'm aware that I can be very intense and that that's hard for my partner to deal with. So now, after working with him for many, many years, I can make the decision. I'm going to turn myself down a little bit. Not that I'm bad, but it's hard for, him to, hard for me to negotiate with him if he's frustrated or angry. So I'm going to, every time we get into conflict, I'm going to be aware, turn myself down just a little bit. By the way, he's also self-aware, so he's turning himself up a little bit to meet me in the middle. So that's what I mean by self-awareness. And you should be able to shift and change. Like I said, can I turn down? Adapt, exactly. Can I, can I know that sometimes I'm too intense? Maybe I, I have now that awareness allows me to change. Not that I am bad and he's good or the other way around, but if you want to be effective in negotiation or conflict resolution or any kind of interaction, you need to be, like you said, adaptable to what's happening here in the interaction. Okay, so great. Thanks very much for doing that. Um, in order to get started, uh, I want, in, in, in terms of talking about negotiation, I'm going to show you a short video clip, short video. And I want to explain what you're going to see, and then we'll see it, and then we'll talk about it. So this video uh, comes from a very famous uh, movie called Life of Brian, that you know, some people know it, uh, by a very wonderful British comedy group called Monty Python. They've been making comedy for like 50 years. In this video clip, it's a part of the movie called Life of Brian, what's happening is there's a, a guy, a character named, uh, named Brian. Obviously, it's his life, so it's about him. And his name is Brian, and he lives in ancient Jerusalem. 
ancient Jerusalem, and he is being chased by some Roman soldiers, and you'll see them at one point, the soldiers with the big kind of feather hats, and they were just drum, drum, coming to get him. And he's trying to run away and save his life, and he runs into this marketplace here. This is a market in ancient Jerusalem, and he says, what can I do to save myself? And he decides, I'm going to get a disguise, and he finds this guy who sells beards. <laughs> this is already a bit strange, but this guy in the market sells beards. So he's going to try to buy a beard. <laughs> it's already funny, right? And use it as a disguise to escape these soldiers. Okay? So that's what you're going to see. And it's going to be an interaction, a negotiation between these two characters, Brian and the beard guy, beard seller, beard vendor. Um, and so what I want you to do is pay attention to who's doing what and why are they doing it. Okay? And then we'll talk about it afterwards, yeah? How much, quick? Well, it's for the wife. Oh, uh, 20 shekels. Right. What? They were. Wait a minute. Oh. Well, we're, we're supposed to haggle. No, no, I've got to get... What do you mean, no, no, no? I haven't got time. Well, I've give got... it back then. No, 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 I just paid you. What? Yeah. This bloke won't haggle. Won't haggle? All right. Do we have to? Now, look, I want 20 for that. Uh, I just gave you 20. Now, are you telling me that's not worth 20 shekels? No. Look at it. Feel the quality. That's not in your goat. All right, I'll give you 19, then. No, no, no. Come on, do it properly. What? Haggle properly. This isn't worth 19. You just said it was worth 20. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Come on, haggle. All right, I'll give you 10. That's more like it. 10? Are you trying to insult me? Me with a poor dying grandmother? 10? All right, I'll give you 11. Now you're getting it. 11? Did I hear you right? 11? This cost me 12? You want to ruin me? 17? No, 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 no. 17. 18? No, no, you get a 14 now. All right, I'll give you 14. 14? Are you joking? That's what you told me to say. Oh, dear. Oh, tell me what to say, please. Offer me 14. I'll give you 14. He's offering me 14 for this. 15. 17. My last word. I won't take a penny less or strike me dead. 16. Done. Asked to do business with you. Oh. Tell you what, I'll throw you in this as well. I don't want it, but thanks. Bert? Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Now, where's the 16 you owe me? I just gave you 20. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's four I owe you, then. No, that's right, that's fine, that's fine. No, hang on, I've got it here somewhere. That's right, that's four for the gourd. Four? For this gourd? Four? Look at it, it's worth ten if it's worth a shekel. You just gave it to me for nothing. Yes, but it's worth ten. All right, all right. No, 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 it's not worth ten. You're supposed to argue. Ten for that, you must be mad. Oh, well, one born every minute. All right. Good, so that's the end of the clip. So... What are you guys observing? What, what's happening here? Why is it happening? Let's talk a little. And how does it relate to negotiation or conflict resolution? Let's talk a bit about what's happening. The buyer wanted the beard and wanted to get out. The seller was forcing the buyer to negotiate and wouldn't let him go without, bless you, without that engagement. Exactly right. That is true. Okay, so now that brings us to the next question, which is why? So let me, let me ask you a simple two questions, right? First one is, if, you, if you're the seller, let's say you're selling something in the market. You're, a, you're in the market selling something. Question, do you want more money or less money? Okay, that's the right answer, good. 
The economics experts in the room agree. <laughs> Good. Now, does this sell more money or less money? Well, let's, let's keep it simple, though. Does he insist on negotiating for more money or less money? That's interesting. Now the question comes, why? Because we said before, if you're a seller, you want more money. Here we come to this guy. He insists on negotiating for less money. Less money than he could have made. That's odd. Why is he doing that? And what does that help us see about how people deal with negotiation? Why does he do that? It's so odd. It's cultural, you say. Say more about that. Can you say more? Oh, that's it. <laughs> I'm done. Okay, it's in, so right. So I agree with part of what you're saying. Culture impacts how people negotiate. I complete, I'm a sociologist, and I believe culture impacts everything. Culture impacts negotiation, yes. But usually culture doesn't mean giving up money. So it's a little strange still. So why does this guy, so maybe it's partly culture, I accept that. Why does this seller insist on negotiating for less money? He's crazy. He wanted the fight, he enjoys the battle. He enjoys the game. Okay, that's one, I, I, maybe that's part of it. What else? To help the Romans, oh interesting. He's trying to keep the guy there so he gets captured. Uh, fascinating, but not accurate. <laughs> and I have to tell you, I've sh I love this. I've shown this movie all over the world to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. No one has ever said that. But I, it's very nice, yes. I, I, I very much appreciate the creative thinking. <laughs> what, there's a couple of, there's some clues. There's some clues to answer the... Just like morally better. He doesn't want to take advantage of this poor guy. I don't think so. <laughs> he doesn't, and he's using, by the way, he's using physical intimidation to make less money. What is going on? There's a clue here that's very important. By the way, this is relevant for real life. It's not just a ridiculous Monty Python, you know. Normally when you and I are negotiating, let's say we're in a market. And you say, hey, I want to buy this thing. I say, okay, listen, come, let's talk. Come on over here. Come on, come, come, come into my house and my, my shop. Let's talk together quietly and, you know, let's hear some tea and let me show you a picture of my kid. And it's very intimate. It's very small and very private. It builds trust. Here, it's the opposite. Don't say this, say that. Here's, you don't want to pay that, you want to pay this. The difference between private negotiation and this very public display performance that tells you something. What he is doing is he's saying, I am willing less money for this so that I can broadcast my reputation of fair. Come to me because as you just saw, I will give you the best price. He says, I don't care about this deal with Brian. I'm thinking about the other 25 people who are listening to what I have to say and I'm building my public reputation here and I'm willing to pay for that. It's the same reason Coca-Cola pays millions of dollars for a sign. Maybe someone will see it and it will help build my reputation. 
The point is that he, the seller, is motivated by things other than the money he could make right now. He's motivated by reputation. He's motivated by the future sales that he could make. He's motivated by his sense of his stature in the market as a fair seller. He's motivated by a whole range of things. He is not motivated by the one thing you would think he is motivated by, which is the sale in this moment. I call that interests. He has a diversity of interests. Interests are goals or needs or objectives. And he has a range of goals or needs or objectives. One of them may be making money now, but the others are also very powerful. All right, so now let's talk about Brian. Let's talk, let's talk about the buyer. Let's talk about the buyer. You walk in to buy something. Do you want to pay more money, less money? Less. All right, great. So now we're all together. Does Brian want to pay more money or less money? He is willing and eager to pay more. He is resisting constantly the opportunity to pay less. In, to the degree that the vendor, the seller, has to bring in physical intimidation to force him to pay less money. It's crazy. Why? 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 Okay, he's desperate. So say a bit more about that. Obviously, he's desperate, but let's be a little more descriptive. The cost of the product is not important in that moment. Exactly right. It's the same point that we see with the provider, with the seller. Brian is not motivated by the one thing you would think he would be motivated by as a buyer, spending less money. In fact, he wants to spend more at the outset. He's throwing money at the guy. He's trying to leave paying more, and then he tries to leave without getting his change. Because, and it's obvious, but I want, us, I want us to say it. The reason is he has other, much more powerful interests. Time and his life and his freedom. He is trading. He's saying, I don't care about 20 shekels is the currency. I don't care about 20 shekels. I care about getting out of here alive. Again, just like with the seller, people have diverse interests. That's the first thing I want to say. Interests defined as goals, motivations, or needs. Two, they sometimes, and I would say often, are not only the things are, that are most obvious. Three, therefore, as skilled negotiators or mediators or whatever kind of intervention you're thinking about, you, all of us, need to be thinking, what are this person's or this group's or this organization's interests that I may not see, that may not be easy to comprehend, hidden. that may be hidden? Yeah. Hidden because we can't imagine them, hidden because we haven't built enough trust for them to articulate them, or hidden even sometimes because they themselves are not fully aware of their own interests. So the clip helps us see how important interests are for negotiators and also for mediators. If you went back and had a conversation with people at New York Peace Institute, they would say interests are at the heart of the work that they do with disputants in mediation. Absolutely. We are trained to seek out interests, find them, and then to build our negotiations around interests. So going into what we're, our conversation today, I really want to have this on um, the front of your mind. What's negotiation? 
This is my question to you. If I were to say, like, fill in the blank, negotiation is, mm, what's a negotiation? Don't, don't look it up in a Google or Wikipedia or something. <laughs> what's negotiation for you? Negotiation is what for you? So negotiation is about ad addressing or getting my interests and, and, the, and my, counterparties, my, my counterpart's interests. That's negotiation. Okay, what else? What are some other definitions that you like? Uh-huh. Good. So it's, now you're saying actually two things. The process of getting there is negotiation, but you're also mentioning common ground. That's an outcome. So it could be both. Negotiation is a process and it's an outcome. Here's how I like to, I mean, I agree. I'm not disagreeing. Here's how I think about negotiation, and it's, it's not in tension with anything you've said. I want to start thinking about negotiation as any time someone's trying to influence or persuade me, or I'm trying to influence or persuade someone else. And, and there's some sort of decision or action that needs to be taken. That's important, right? So it's not like, I want you to be thinking about God the way I think about God. That doesn't really, that's more just philosophical or, 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 or conceptual. This is, I want you to do the project the way I think we should do the project. Right, so bless you. Negotiation is any time someone's trying to influence or persuade. I'm influencing, persuading you. You're influencing or persuading me. And there's some sort of action, some sort of decision that we are looking at. Sometimes it's very clear we are negotiating. You know, let's say you represent. Um, you represent. Uh, let's say, where's my lawyer? There's a lawyer here, right? Yes, yes. Let's say um, she uh, that that you are. Um, representing a, a, an interest in a negotiation, it's very formal. There's two contracts or two, um, I don't know, uh, uh, analyses and two teams of maybe lawyers and bureaucrats and other stakeholders are sitting on two sides of the table negotiating. You're saying, here's what we want. They're saying, here's what we want. Going back and forth, negotiation. It's very formal. That happens, but I don't think that's mostly what's happening went in our work. I think mostly what's happening, uh, remind me of your name? Washington. Washington is sitting at his desk and he gets a call from? Alfonso. Alfonso says, Washington, how's it going? Alfonso says, listen, can I get some help uh, um, from your team on this new project that we're trying to launch? Can we get a, a few hours of your time to help us out on this? Listen, Alfonso, we're really busy. It's crazy here. I don't think I can help you. Plus, that's your responsibility. Like, no offense, but do your work, man. Of course, Alfonso says, listen, you're absolutely right. It's just that you have this particular expertise. And of course, Washington says, yeah, I understand that. But the problem is, if I help you today, I'm concerned you're going to call me tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And like, that, I can't, that's not sustainable. So of course, Alfonso says, listen, Washington, Here's the thing, if you help me today, call me tomorrow, I'll help you, right? So that's negotiation. That's what's happening all the time. All of this together, I'm calling negotiation. It's very informal, there's no teams of lawyers, it's not technical, but this is the kind of thing that makes up your worlds, I'm sure of it. With bureaucrats, with private sector, everywhere you are having these kinds of negotiations. Would you agree with that? Now, why is it powerful and useful to call those interactions negotiations? 
Because once you start to think of them as negotiations, you step into them differently, more thoughtful, more planning, more, uh, um, more strategy, more skillful, and therefore you're going to get better outcomes. So I, first point I want to make is you are negotiating much more frequently than you may be aware of. Second point is become aware of those as negotiations. Third point is being more disciplined gives you better outcomes. Okay? So that's the first point I want to make about negotiation. In addition to the one I made earlier about uh, interests being a, a, a central part of what we're talking about. Would you guys, are you on, this make sense? Clear? You're negotiating much more frequently than you may be aware of. Become aware of that. Okay. Now, because you're negotiating all the time, you may think, okay, shouldn't it be easy? Why is it hard? I want to explain why I think it's hard. And I want to talk about what I call the key tension in negotiation and conflict. There are many tensions, there are many dilemmas. This is one of them that I think is very, very important to consider. And it's the tension between two things that you care about all of us care about in almost every negotiation. Two categories. I care about substance, which is the stuff we are negotiating over, the things we're negotiating over. Often money or um, who will do what on a project or the responsibilities of one organization or another. Um, who's, going to, um, who's going to pay for this? Who is going to earn revenue from this? Those are all substance questions. Yes? Clear what I mean by substance? The stuff we're negotiating over. So we care about substance, but we also care about relationship. So I want to clarify, I don't, when I say relationship, I don't mean like, are we friends? Or do I like you? That's not what I mean. Here I mean, what's the dynamic between the parties, between me and you, between my organization and your organization, between my state and your state, right? By dynamic, I mean things like, is there trust? Is there uh, respect? Is there a sense of goodwill? Goodwill for me means, listen, we may not work this out, but at least we know we're trying our best. Is there resilience? Yeah, I think it was your word, right? Resil yeah. Resilience. Resilience is also a part of relationship. So relationship is all of those things. It's not concrete. You can't see it, but you can feel it, and it is fundamentally a part of almost every negotiation that we are a part of. So I care about substance, stuff, things, concrete, often money or things like that, and I care about relationship, the dynamic, the sense of trust and respect. By the way, relationship is also about history. History also very, really matters, right? So when we're negotiating, it's not just you and I now representing our organizations. We also come with the histories of all of the negotiations that have come before. And those ghosts sit at the table with us, right? Sometimes they're good ghosts and they help us. Sometimes they're bad ghosts and they're, they're evil. They make it hard for us, right? So the relationship is also about the past. And it's about the future. Because as we're negotiating today, we are actually creating the dynamics for the future. Exactly. Yeah, we're creating our own ghosts in this moment. You're exactly right. Yes. So, clear substance relationship. Yes? How does this become a tension, a difficulty? Um, so here's how I want to think about it. I want you to imagine right now a person who only cares about substance. 
They don't care about this other relationship stuff. They only care about substance. They're a negotiator or, or some other kind of actor, and they only care about substance. So what would that person be like? Can you describe that person for us for a little bit? Hmm? Military? Military? Okay, or militant, yeah? Good? Insensitive. Uh, is, that, is that right? Yeah, insensitive. What else? Maybe careless or in the relationship? Right, because they don't care about it, so why care, right? right why, why uh... okay, anything else? Let me ask you, would, in terms of um, behaviors, would this person be doing more talking or more listening? Probably more talking, right? And in terms of strategy, do they, do they make um, modest demands or extreme demands? Okay, you guys get the picture, right? So that's a kind of negotiator who only cares about substance. What is the result of that strategy, that behavior, and that mindset? Typically, that approach will get you lots of substance, which is great, right? That's great, but what's the... What's the downside? What's the challenge with that approach we've just described? Could be not sustainable. Yes, exactly. You're saying the same thing. You're saying it's not sustainable. You're saying there's no second time. Why? Why is there no? Why is it not sustainable? Why is there not a second time? You get everything from the first time, and then you have not. The, uh, you don't establish a relationship. So. In fact, it's not so much even that you don't establish it, you may actually have destroyed it. Yeah. I, I was teaching a class the other day, and I, I asked this question you know, for the group. I said, what's the problem here? And this young guy, young New Yorker, he raised his hand. I said, yeah, what, you know, what's the problem? He said, you die alone. <laughs> <laughs> so that's dying alone, right? All right? So you don't want that. So what's the alternative? How do you... <laughs> It was great, right? Perfect, perfect answer. Um, I said, I'm going to remember you. And, and so what's the alternative? Really to focus on the relationship, right? A focus on the relationship, what's that like? Flexible, compromising, nurturing the relationship. Maybe we're supposed to charge um, a municipality for a certain service that we provide, but we give it to them for free. Why? We want to nurture the relationship with those key actors. Maybe we're supposed to do something virtually and support a group or, or, or project you know, online, but we actually send a team, we spend the money to fly a team in and do hands-on training for, for a stakeholder group or whatever. So what is the impact of all of that? Not surprisingly, great, not necessarily balanced, but lots of good relationship capital. What's the obvious downside or weakness? No substance, right? And so this is the tension. This is the tension we all face, everyone in this room. Do I focus on substance at the risk of relationship, or do I focus on the relationship at the risk of substance? For instance, when a stakeholder asks me for something, do I say, no, I'm sorry, there's no resources for that, good luck, and risk antagonizing that senior political leader, or do I say, okay, sure, we'll see what we can do, let me make that happen, we'll take the money from somewhere. Nurturing the relationship, but then where's the budget? Where's the return on investment? How is that sustainable? This is the tension we feel. And I bet if you look, don't do it, but if you were to look in your email inbox right now, you would see at least one example of this tension right now. 
because it's everywhere. It's all, all around us, this tension. Most of the time we can navigate it very with elegance and ease. We know what to do. Sometimes it's very challenging. What do I do? What do I do? Um, I'll give you a quick example. Very, very, very mundane, everyday example. Um, I live in a condominium building, you know, where everybody owns their own apartment, but we also have a building that we kind of share. We have one employee who is the superintendent of the building. He's supposed to take care of the building. I happen to be, it's going to sound very important, the president of the Homeowners Association is the least elegant thing I've ever done in my life. It's, it's terrible. But I am. This the guy that takes care of the building, I feel very close to. We've built over eight years or nine years. We've built a friendship. At the same time, he's terrible at his job. He's terrible at his job. Do I push hard on him and say, man, you've got to do your job and risk the relationship? Or do I keep letting him kind of just barely do his job, but still we're nurturing this relationship, right? So that's the tension I face, similar at much lar larger scales for the kinds of things that you face. Does this make sense? So my question to you is, ideally, where would you like to be? In an ideal world, what's going to be much more satisfying than choosing one? Maximize substance and relationship. Find ways to not always have them feel intention. And as a negotiator, and in conflict resolution, that's where I want our minds to be. How do I maximize substance and the relationship? Obviously, in real life, there are going to be some trade-offs, some compromises. We may end up here instead of here, or maybe even here. But we're trying to keep them from being this all-or-nothing um, uh, negotiations. So my, my view, my vision, is balancing both substance and relationship. And I'll tell you right now, how do you do that? So here's the secret. <laughs> so if, you, if we have to leave right now, you know, like uh, everyone's, oh my god, we forgot we have a meeting, at least you'll know the answer. How do you do that? Well, know that it's not always possible, but you can always pursue it. Like some people say, oh, well, you can't always do that. Yes, of course, I didn't say you can always do it. But just because it's not always possible doesn't mean you can't pursue it. Um, so that's the first thing I want to say. Second thing I want to say is it takes a little bit more time. It takes more strategizing. It takes also more skill on your part. Having said all of that, what's the secret to generating this more often than not? I want us to learn to separate substance, which is the stuff that we're negotiating over, from the relationship, which is the people and the, um, the needs of the people that we're negotiating with. So I'm going to say it again. I'm going to learn to separate things that are related to substance from things that are related to relationship. And then I'm going to treat them differently. I'm going to treat substance firmly and say, this is really what we need. We're willing to negotiate. We're willing to compromise. But we need these things. At the same time, we're going to be very open and flexible and empathetic on the people side, on the relationship side. So I'll say this again. I'm going to separate substance from relationship. I'm going to treat them differently. Substance can be very firm. And people, I can be very empathetic. Or relationships, I can be very empathetic and open and engaged. So I'll give you an example of what this sounds like you know, in real life. Let's imagine 
a client comes to me or a stakeholder comes to me and he says or she says, you know what, Zach, um, our organization that you serve has gone through a lot of fiscal problems. We don't have a lot of money this year. We still want you to do the work that you've done for us in the past, but we need um, a 50% discount. And we would really appreciate that and it would also show us how much you value this relationship that you've talked about, this relationship between our organization and yours. So if you value the relationship, says you know, Ms. Stakeholder, you know, please let us have this 50% discount because we've really struggled with our budget. Now I have a problem. Because my stakeholder is merging substance, which is the discount, money, with the relationship. If you care about us, you would give us the discount. What are they really saying? If you love us, give us the discount. Which also means, if you don't give us the discount, you don't, you don't love us. That's terrible for me. How do I negotiate? I can either give, give the discount, take a 50% cut, but preserve the relationship, or say, look, I'm sorry, I guess I don't love you because you're not getting a 50% discount. That's not a choice I want to make. So what I want to be able to do is separate them and say, Ms. Stakeholder, I, I want to hear more about the challenges that you're faced with, and I'm very sorry that things have been difficult, and I want to talk about some options that we may be able to share with you and try to save you some resources. That's relationship, empathy, openness, engagement. At the same time, we can't give you a 50% discount, just like that. Other things need to change because we can't sustain as an organization if we're giving out 50% discounts. Like our, it just would fall apart. We would go out of business. I do hear loud and clear that you need some sort of savings, and I want to work with you. And I'm sorry I can't just give you that discount. I would love to, but I can't. And so I'm saying no on that discount. But we do care about you, and you can't have it, and I love you. So, <laughs> so that's, that's what I'm trying to do. That's the secret to making this move from tension to, uh, to, to, to maximizing both. Does that make sense so far? Yes? I'll tell you, I'll tell you. First of all, here's the funny thing. We have a meeting tomorrow night. So it's on my mind. We have a meeting tomorrow night. Uh, it's just, it feels very personal. Now you guys know a lot about me, right? It's very intimate. It could happen. We have a meeting tomorrow night. And it's funny, I called the guy today, just now, just before class. And I told him, hey, listen, uh, we're going to be having a meeting tomorrow. Me, the other condo uh, president, and the another leader. And the guy's like, okay. And I said, yeah, we'd like you to be there at six. This has never happened before. So he's obviously like, what the is going on? So he says, okay. I said, so can you be there? And I'm trying to pretend like it's not a big deal, knowing that he knows it is a big deal because it's never happened before. And so he says, okay. So the answer to your question is, I don't know what we're going to do. I think, let me tell you what we could do. We could say, listen, we, I, all of us, very much appreciate who you are and the good things that you bring to this building. And we want to work with you to make this a good, long-term, professional relationship. And, so that's all relationship. I'm, I'm serving the relationship there. And there are many things in your job description, as we understand it, that we don't see you doing. 
and we have to address that. It's not fair to be paid for a job that you're not doing. And we want to work with you and make sure that this gets addressed and to see if there's anything we need to be doing differently to help you do your job. And you have to do it. Or we're going to fire you. And that's absolutely not what we want to do. We want this to work. But it's not. So I can keep going back and forth like that all day long. Now, after that little speech, does he give us a big hug and say like, oh my God, you changed my life. You know, this is like, <laughs> let me get to work, you know? No, absolutely not. Like, I'm not that naive to think that that's like magic. So it doesn't resolve everything. We still have to negotiate. Are there things in the job description he says he doesn't, he can't do? Does he want a pay raise? Does he need a pay raise? Maybe he doesn't have the equipment or the skill that he needs. There's a lot of negotiation that needs to take place. But in terms of framing it, that's how I would try to do it. Now, it's easy, very, I'm glad we had this opportunity, now I can practice it once. <laughs> so when I'm sitting there and he's looking at me like, what are you doing, you know? First of all, two, two things. One, I, I'm pleased, I'm happy that you heard it and that you noticed it because it's important. Second of all, the word matters, but even more importantly, the way you think about language matters. So what is but, this is, not good. So what is, um, when I say x, that's your view, but y, what's that mean? What's that, what is the message? Is it? To oppose. Yes. You think this, but I think that. This is what's true. It's much higher. This is low. This is high. But disconnects. I hear where you're coming from, but it's garbage, so let's move forward. You do, we care about this relationship, but you're not doing the work, so you're fired. But is, I'm not saying never say but, but know that you're conveying something very specific. When I say X and Y, what does that convey? Something connected. Yeah, you have a, phys you have a visual. Yeah, you're saying this is true and that is true. We appreciate you and everything that you do in this community, and we want a long-term relationship. And what is also true is you're not doing your job. These two things are true, equally, equally true. Now, at the end of the day, we might say you're fired, or we might say, wow, you've totally changed how you're working, or we may, we may, hear, we may hear something in negotiation that makes us think, you know what? We're paying this guy 50% what we should be paying him. He brings all kinds of information that shows us he's making half what his, his counterparts are making. I'm open to that. I don't think it's true, but you know. And, and at least we had the conversation in a way that, um, to the degree that we could, preserves the relationship, or at least acknowledges the importance of the relationship. Thank you for joining us for this Columbia University Comunitas Public Management Podcast. Please join us for other podcasts here on this website.